Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. And today we're going to be talking more about boys and puberty. It's going to be a pediatrician's perspective on boys and puberty. And to help us out, we have Dr. Sheku Sese, who is familiar with somebody else, a former guest that was on the podcast. So before I continue, Dr. Sese, would you mind introducing yourself to us and say hello to our audience? Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on board. I am Dr. Shaku Sase. I'm a pediatrician, and it's a pleasure to be here today. Am I correct to believe that you actually grew up elsewhere? You didn't grow up in the States. That is correct. Um, I was actually born in New York. My parents were immigrants in New York at the time. And shortly after I was born, my family, originally from Sierra Leone, moved back to Sierra Leone. So I spent my formative years in Sierra Leone. I did, you know, elementary school, high school. I even started college in Sierra Leone. And then I came back to the U.S. where I finished up at the University of Maryland. Do you mind explaining a little bit about what you do day to day with your patients? Well, I'm a pediatrician. Um, Right now, I do only urgent care. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, it's basically we see kids only when they're sick. So we don't do um, well checks, we don't do checkups, we don't give shots. And so right now, that's my day-to-day. I have a urgent care in Suwannee, Georgia, and I see kids when they're sick. So that's my day-to-day thing. That's what I do. And you're aware of what most boys experience regarding puberty. And I'm sure you've had conversations with boys about it. What are some of the common changes that you talk to boys about? Oh, yes. Well, I started this clinic in 2015. So prior to that, I was a full-time pediatrician. I did well checks. Um, I saw boys. I had all this regular pediatrician stuff. And actually, my wife, who is, you know, the brains behind the operation, created something called the puberty party. And she was very excited about it and dragged me into it. And it's a fun experience. (laughs) I've had a great, I've had a great experience so far. And um, so she created this thing called the puberty party. And the puberty party has a female section and a male section. So I run the male section. And in that section, we talk about, you know, puberty changes, things that happen um, when you go from boyhood to manhood. I mean, there's a whole curriculum. I don't like to call it a curriculum. I like to call it an activity because it's really self-driven. If you need our help, we can do it with you. You can do it by yourself. You can come into our clinic and do it. You can do it online. But it's really a series of fun activities that you can do that talks about puberty, all the different changes that happen when you transition from a little guy to an older guy. Excellent. And what are some of the things that the boys really want to know about? Interestingly, <laughs> this is interestingly when I see boys, um, especially the young ones, the one thing that they really want to know is how tall are they going to be? And, um, you know, they, they want to know about other things, but really height is like the biggest thing for them. 
And luckily, I can help with that if I know the mom's height, the dad's height. We have a calculation that we can use to figure out how tall they are going to be. At least an estimate. I mean, genetics plays into that. Nutrition plays into that. But for the most part, we can ballpark it. But what I usually want to talk to them about is the changes that they go through. And boys are not very vocal. Like girls will ask a lot of questions. They would, you know, they have their mothers they can talk to. Boys tend to be more reserved, more don't really ask questions as much. So they, you know, internalize all this stuff a lot. So when I see boys, what I like to talk to them about is the changes that are going through are pretty normal. Something to expect. You're going to see, you know, testicular changes. You're going to see hair in different places. You're going to see um, voice changes. So I go through all this stuff and say, you know, it's part of growing up. It's um, a normal process. It's something to embrace. It's nothing to be scared about. And um, I think that really helps them be a little more comfortable with the puberty thing. Do they have a lot of questions about how to handle hair growth? Well, it depends, actually. The, the older ones tend to get into, like, um, how do I manage my facial hair? Like, how do I shave? And, you know, it's a process. You know, we talk about the different products, um, the number of blades, especially African-American skin tends to be a little bit more sensitive. So we talk about, you know, less blades is better. You know, frequent okay. shaving is better. You know, um, so grooming is a, is a whole topic that we go through. Even in the curriculum, we talk about grooming quite a bit in the curriculum. So, yes, they, they have lots of questions about grooming. Is there a particular thing that you talk with them about that they laugh the most about? Actually, there's this, um, you might not know this. I don't know if you're, you're aware of this, but like um, boys testicles one is lower than the other than the other so i i don't know i can't count the number of times that i've had boys coming to me very shy they're usually with their parents and you know they mumble under the breath exactly why they're there sometimes the parents leave sometimes the parents stay and basically the question is i think there's something wrong with me i think one of my testicles is different from the other and this is a normal thing it's normally how it is one is slightly lower than the other. So for me, I think that's the most comical okay. <laughs> thing that, that, you know, boys come to me and we talk about. And once you tell them that, you can see the relief, like, wow, I've been stressing about this, nobody to talk to. And, you know, it's a normal thing. Yeah. So that brings me to an important point is if you have a boy and they're going through this transition, you should make frequent visits to your doctor's office and have a relationship with a pediatrician. Make sure they feel comfortable because sometimes they don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about this and understandably so. You know, sometimes, um, you know, the moms don't have the answers and sometimes the dad, you know. But if you have a relationship with a pediatrician, someone that they can come in and talk to on a regular basis, somebody they can trust, somebody that, you know, They've, they've seen a few times, it really helps them. And the earlier you do this, the better. So some people will say, well, I don't want to talk to my nine-year-old, 10-year-old about these things now because they're too young. But it's never too young. It's never too early. You need to get in there. And the sooner you do it, the, the more information they will have and the better they'll be. In which I know there's 
a transition that sometimes a parent or other caregiver has to go through in which they want to be in the room with the child, yet sometimes it has to occur that the child's in the room alone if they feel comfortable with a medical professional. So that way they can ask more questions directly because sometimes that parent being there is a barrier in the conversation. And do you have any advice for a parent or other caregiver about it's okay that your child's in the room alone as long as they're feeling safe to ask questions? Oh, yes. Um, Actually, routinely when we have these visits, um, I think communication is the key. So once you start having these visits, you need to communicate clearly with the parents and with the child that these are the expectations. Um, You know, initially, we're going to have the parents in the room. We're going to do the exam. We're going to talk about couple of things that we normally talk about during those visits. And then at the end of the visit, I usually tell the parents to step out, um, give us a couple of minutes. And most parents understand, especially if you have a relationship with them before, um, you know, give us a few minutes at the end. And I tell the child that, or the young person, that we're not trying to hide from the parents. We're basically trying to give you your time, your space to freely express yourself. Because I can give you an example. I saw a family the other day. And um, the mom was very concerned about masturbation and the boy had started masturbating. And um, when the mom was in the room and the mom mentioned it, the kid just shut down. Like he wouldn't say anything. He just stared at the floor, didn't really participate in this at all. So I explained to the mom, you know, give us some time. Let's talk about it and all that. And the mom agreed and she stepped out. Once she stepped out, I was able to have a conversation with the child. And, you know, provide the appropriate counseling, like this child had started, you know, watching pornography online. You know, how kids now, everybody has a smartphone, everybody has access to the internet, and pornography is there. That's how he got into this. And, you know, masturbation is normal. That's not the cause of it. But he basically, that was his trigger, so sort of call it. And um, so we talked about it, talked about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's good relationships. And actually, at the end, when the mom came back in, you could see the change in the kid's eyes. The kid was able to now, not 100 percent, but he was able to now at least have some conversation. And the mom wasn't aware of the pornography. So, you know, that conversation really helped all of us in the room. So okay, great to parents is be patient. These things are normal progressions. And, um, you know, conversations, communication, that's really the key to this. I'm glad that you brought up that topic because I have somebody that's going to be on a podcast episode. There's going to be actually two episodes a little bit after yours talking about masturbation. And we're calling it the M word because that's not a conversation that a lot of parents and other caregivers always have with their children. So that's excellent that there was a conversation in your office and that it's normalized, but there is certain things of privacy and that kind of thing. Are there other concerns that parents typically have regarding their son going through puberty? Yes. Well, for for parents, I think they always want to talk about teaching their kids going through puberty, the right steps, I guess. And um, I remember one time, you know, consent, like consent is a big thing in puberty, especially for the older adolescent. You want to make sure your child is appropriately doing the right thing, you know, understanding what consent truly means. And um, for me, I always say consent is a continuum. It doesn't really stop. It doesn't really end. So I'll give you an example. You're 
on a date with a person, you know, male, female on a date, um, you know, no means no up to when you about to have intercourse, even during intercourse knows no means no at that point. So if, you know, somebody consents and says, no, I changed my mind, that needs to be respected. That needs mm-hmm. to be, you know, recognized and, and, you know, proceed accordingly. So we try to have these kind of sensitive, delicate questions and really do examples of exactly what consent looks like, like walkthrough scenario. Dr. Fono's course, which I'm a part of, um, really goes through this quite a bit. It talks about consent, you know, what's appropriate, what's not, you know, when can you, you know, when is consent implied? It never is implied. It has to be verbalized. It has to be, you know, acknowledged, affirmed, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think consent for the older adolescents is a really big topic that we tend to shy away from. And mm-hmm. I think we really need to spend a lot of time talking about it because teenagers, sometimes they don't quite understand. You have to be literal. You have to tell them exactly verbatim, this is what it means. So um, consent is a big one. I, I, I like talking to my older adolescents about consent. Excellent. And certainly not being under the influence of a substance that you can't give consent. And that's something that I know in the health classroom, I've gone over with them. And what's interesting is we're beginning to see that there's more literature coming out for families to talk about consent starting earlier. So they get it more into their, their habit of, okay, I don't like this. I have the right to say, no, stop that kind of thing. And that's even like hugging a family member if they don't want to, because I'm seeing that more and more in the media. And we're going to have more conversations about that in on this podcast, which is really exciting. Going back to what you had said that boys are sometimes concerned about their testicles. What do you recommend for boys regarding to check their testicles? Because I understand the rates of some issues like testicular cancer is more common with younger males from 15 to 24, if I'm correct? Correct. Well, before I go into that, I just wanted to add one more thing to what we were talking about with consent. Sure. There is um, um, an acronym that I came up with, which is EFP. And it applies to adolescents across the board, but I think it applies mainly to consent. And the E stands for you got to do it early. You got to make sure you teach them these things early. You got to do it frequently. That's where the F is, you know, Every opportunity you have, you know, use that. And and then, of course, the A is for do it in the appropriate setting. You know, what you would say to a 10-year-old will be different to what you would say to a 16-year-old. So um, that EFP acronym is really something I keep in my mind when I'm talking to my adolescents. So do it early, do it frequently, and do it appropriately. Now, to answer your question here, testicular cancer is really one of those things that we don't talk about. Because honestly, it's rare, but it happens in the young population. And in the young population, like you mentioned, 15 to 24, that's really where you see testicular cancer. And if you identify testicular cancer early, it's highly treatable. And when I see my adolescents, and actually the curriculum has a whole section on this where we talk about, um, it's an exercise where you do a testicular self-exam. We have a little module where you can, you know, pretend that this is your testicle, this is what you look for and all that. But the appropriate age to start really is at age 10. Okay. 
And the way you do it is when you when you're taking a shower, after the shower, during the shower, because warm water really lets your scrotum relax and your testicle is easier to feel at that point. During the shower, you should hold the testicle within your fingers and try to feel it. And most experts agree that if you know what your testicle feels like, when it's abnormal, you'll be able to tell that it is abnormal. So you need to do it on a monthly basis. Every month, check your testicle and just kind of feel it, make sure it's smooth, make sure there are no bumps, make sure it's not unusual shape. And if you get into that habit, if you do that once a month from when you are about 10, by the time you get to be 14, 15, even early adolescence, 20, if something is abnormal, the only thing you have to do is follow up with your medical professional. Because if they identified early, like I said, it's, it's really, really easily treatable. Okay. Because that whole thing of normalizing that you can touch your body to know what it feels like. I appreciate that you explain that because sometimes children are, no, I'm not supposed to know this. It's hidden. It's private. But I always support in the health classroom that you do an exam, you know your body because you live with yourself 24-7. Well, yes. I mean, there's a privacy issue. You don't want to do it outside in public. But if you're in your own bathroom, in your own bedroom, absolutely, you're supposed to become familiar with your anatomy. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Excellent. Okay. Another question. I'm going to go to another common thing that happens with kids about body odor. How do you usually tell children to tell their friends or parents to tell their children that they're needing to clean more often? And if the family is supportive of using a deodorant, and I know there's holistic ones out there, um, antiperspirant, how do you usually recommend people talk about that? That's that's really a, I think that's really a sensitive one because I mean, coming out and telling somebody, oh, you stink, you need to go take a shower, yeah. you know, really builds up defensive. People automatically get defensive and even little kids get defensive too. They're like, I don't stink, I'm fine. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, um, again, the acronym about early, frequently and appropriately comes into play. You know, even when they're young, I have an eight-year-old son. Almost every morning when he's getting ready to go to school, I go in there with him and like, did you brush your teeth? Did you wash your face? Did you wash it properly? If you don't do it properly, we have to do it again. So, you know, you don't just show up at 16 and say, you know, you stink, you got to take a shower, but you have to do this continuously and you have to do it appropriately and you have to do it frequently. But when I see my patients though, what I also get across to them is normal puberty changes brings about, it's called pheromones. Um, This is the normal body odor that you get as you go from being a little child to now a teenager, Your, your, your musk is a bit manly, as we say. So, you know, not everybody likes a musky, <laughs> if you want to use that word. Not everybody likes somebody to have a musky smell. So taking a shower and, you know, shower every day if you can, you know, and I recommend that. Um, for the teenagers, especially the ones that are, you know, into girls at that point, they take it upon themselves now to be more, more clean. They spray cologne. They do that kind of thing. So... It's a continuous conversation that we have in different stages. And it's basically just communicating that your body's changing, you have an odor that comes with it, and washing frequently 
really helps. Okay. It's funny. You reminded me when I taught at the middle school level, I used to have some students come in, they would spray themselves with Axe, that product, and Uh you can smell them across the room. So I would actually approach them and go, okay, here's the deal with those sprays. You don't have to spray it so much. What the purpose is, is when you pass somebody, they can smell it and be like, oh, and maybe want to talk with you about, oh, what is that smell? You don't have to like bathe yourself (laughs) in the whole product. So a little bit because they get to that point of, oh, I want to have this, these other people attracted to me. Yeah. So and and Axe is a good product. So another question is I, cause I used to get a lot of questions regarding wet dreams. Do you often have boys talk to you about that? And what's your recommendation for boys as well as their parents and other caregivers? Interestingly though, um, the, the, the parents actually ask about that on behalf okay. of the boys, which is interesting because most of the time, the boys get freaked out about it and they mm-hmm. tell it to their parents and the parents, usually the mothers don't have experience with it and they bring it up to me during our visits. So I usually step back and say, you know, this is a normal process that happens. It's basically an involuntary ejaculation of semen. And it just means that you are now begin- becoming a man, if you want to use those words. And you have to realize that you're changing, you have, you know, semen and can put potentially, potentially impregnate a, a girl if you do have sex with them. So we go into the biology of it more than the, you know, exactly why that happens, what it means. It's a normal thing. It's going to be, it's going to continue throughout your life, but it's going to be less and less as you get older. And once you provide that information to them and to the parents too, there's a little bit of calm and people tend to, you know, recognize that this is normally what happens. It just means that I am transitioning from a boy to a man. And I always believe that telling children this stuff before it happens helps to prepare them because I've been asked that question by boys of, you know, am I wetting my bed? And it's like, no, I, and I don't want them to have this fear that they're going to have to wear a diaper like they did when they were a baby. Um, this is a natural thing that happens. So to be prepared and when it happens, you can handle it. You can change your pajama bottoms, your underwear, you can change the sheets, show more responsibility in the household of, yeah, I'm going to help you do the laundry, that kind of thing. And then for menstrual cycles, I know of some young people that have gotten a period and they think they're dying. I mean, oh my God, I'm bleeding to death. So this whole education before it happens, I've always been supportive of. So they have some preparation for what to expect. And would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I think, um, you know, for for boys particularly, um, things like that, they should really try to get in touch with the male side of the family. So if the dad is around, the dad should take on that. You know, like I said earlier, I have an eight-year-old. We haven't had the wet dream conversation yet because I don't think it's appropriate, going back to my EFA. I don't think it's appropriate right now. But usually around 10, that's a good time to kind of say, you know, if these things happen, you know, talk to me about it, first of all, or bring it to my attention so I can help you. And also, this is a good point. 
kids, especially boys, want to know that you're there to support them. They want to know that if they have a question or a concern about something, you know, they can come to you and you will be there. Even if you don't know the answer, you'll be there to support them. So provide that environment, that supportive environment where they are comfortable coming to you. But yes, I agree with that completely. The male side of the family should engage the boys pretty early. And if there's no male side, maybe your uncle, you know, maybe a trusted male person in the family can start having these conversations that, you know, you're going to notice that your penis will get slightly bigger. You're going to notice hair in different places, you know, have that conversation frequently. And wet dream is just part of that normal anatomy changing. Mm-hmm. You had said earlier that you often have more conversations with moms and it might be that they're bringing their child to the doctor. Yet it seems like there is more conversations from the mom. Dads can talk and as well as other caregivers, yet it seems like it's more mom at times, like the responsibility is on there. So any recommendations for helping the males of the family talk with their younger males? And as a pediatrician, I see more moms in nearly all of my visits. I would say 75, 80% of the visits, the child comes to the mom. So um, yes, us fathers have to do better in you know, participating in this. I know there are other issues and other things involved in that. That's why you know, dads sometimes don't come to it. But I definitely recommend that dads come to this visit, bring their sons, and the more they are there, the more they will know what's going on in the kids' lives. So yes, um, I don't have a remedy for how to make that happen, except to say, as men, as fathers, we have to be more present at those visits. So that way we can learn. You know, I wouldn't tell you the amount of times that I see when dads bring their child in, not regarding for, this is not related to puberty, but they will be like, oh, I don't know who the pediatrician is, or I don't know what medications they're on. And, you know, dads are like that sometimes. I, I, I really encourage all of us to be more engaged, to learn these things, because the moms will, the moms will tell you like, oh, they, they've had 10 shots, you know, the last cough medicine was this. Dads won't be able to do that. So it goes, it goes along with puberty as well. Dads would not even know sometimes, and it goes for girls. Sometimes they won't know that, you know, that wife, their, their children had have menstrual cycles, their daughters have had menstrual cycles. They won't know. They were not part of the conversation. So for me, I have three girls and my wife, Dr. Fauna, does this very well, but I try to be as engaged as possible. I ask the questions. I, you know, I, I do the runs to this grocery store to get, you know, sanitary pads and things like that. I am not shy about that. And I think more dads should be involved in that. One thing that I like to mention to to patients, and especially when their parents are there, is puberty itself is a continuum. It's a process. Enjoy it. You know, you're you're never going to be 14 again. You're never going to be 16 again. So these things are going to happen one time in your life, and that's it. So I, I tell kids all the time, Enjoy the process. Puberty is to be celebrated. You don't need to worry about it. Because I remember like acne is a big deal where teenagers get really bent out of shape about. And acne, you know, it's a problem. I agree. But, you know, don't lose your mind about it. Try to come up with remedies. Wash your face regularly. Use, you know, so we talk about 
this is a process. As you get older, this will go away. It's hard to believe teenagers, I kind of short memory. It's hard to believe that, you know, in two years from now, my face is going to be perfect. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is a disaster. This is where my face is today. And I want it to be different. I understand that, but we try to get them to say it's a continuum, enjoy the process and go with it. With regards to parents though, I tell them to be patient because, you know, it's like when you were potty training your child, most parents want their child to be potty trained like on day one. They're like, I want my child to be potty trained at two years old, you know, be patient. Nearly every child is going to be potty trained at some point. Same thing for teenagers. They're going to go through this phase, be supportive, provide the information they need, and hopefully we'll come out better on the other side. And they can probably also celebrate because the puberty parties, and that's with your lovely partner, Dr. Fatou Forna. She and you had said earlier that she has gotten you to help with the boys' puberty parties. Can you tell us how to get more information about those? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the puberty parties are a phenomenal idea. Um, I know Dr. Forna spoke about this already. She's done this in many in many different settings, both nationally and internationally. We've even had CNN follow us on one of our trips to Sierra Leone, where they came in and saw what we did. So the idea of celebrating this transition is is a great one. And it's done in many, many cultures. It's done in many, many places around the world. People call it different names. People do different traditions. But the idea is still the same. You're going from a young person to being a young adult who is a responsible member now of society. So we should all celebrate this. We should all come up with ways to make that happen. With regards to how you can get information about our course, you can go to Dr. Fauna's website. It's drfatoufauna.com. And there are four courses on there, two for boys and two for girls. There is an early adolescent one for boys and a manhood party for older adolescents, and the same for girls, one for young, younger adolescents and older adolescents. And on that website, you can get all the information you need. And like I said, there are different ways to do it. You can do it on your own, just self-directed. You can do it with your parents. You can have us host a puberty party for you. We'll be happy to do that. You can, we can even do it in person. You know, there's that option for that. Dr. Fauna, of course, is the pioneer of this. So she has all the permutations that you can have this done. But just reach out, go on the website and make contact and we'll reach out to you if that's something you want to do. But the website again is drfatoufauna.com. And I'll make sure to put that link in the description of today's episode. So thank you for, for reminding us about those courses. Side question, do you think you're going to have your son participate in a puberty party? Absolutely. He's, like I said, he's, he's eight now. We've been doing simple things. But I think um, the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, actually, is to go away to a hotel, just me and him. You know, we don't get to do that often. Just me and him, go to a hotel, pamper ourselves, do something fun, talk about all these transitions that he's having. Um, Dr. Fonner just did that with our third daughter. And it was such a a delightful event. And she came home, had like a gift basket that had, you know, creative things in there. 
in my son's basket, of course, I'm going to include a shaving thing. I'm going to include a deodorant. I'm going to do, you know, I think we're going to do it early, but, you know, condoms perhaps, you know, okay. things, things like that. Things like that. I am really looking forward to that. And, and I hope to do it more than once. Maybe we'll do it when he's 10, 11, and maybe again, 15, 16. So mm -hmm. looking forward to that. And I recommend that for all the dads out there, spend some time one-on-one -on -one with your child to talk about puberty, transition to young adulthood. And you would, you would be amazed about how long that memory will stay with them. You would be amazed. Yeah, because it's special and it's a time to celebrate. Like you had said, in other places of the world, there are celebrations for these transitions. So it's wonderful that you're doing this and thank you for everything that you're doing. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience regarding puberty, adolescence for young people or adults? Absolutely. So I think I've said this before, but I think I'll say it again, is don't be hard pressed in having that talk when your child is 16, 17. Honestly, it's a little late to have the conversation at 16, 17. You should really try to pepper their lives with little bits of information, doing it early, doing it frequently, and do it inappropriately throughout their lives. And once they get to be 16, 17, 18, celebrate them. Celebrate this accomplishment. You, you've added a responsible, young person to the world population. Celebrate that. Enjoy the process. So those are the things I'd like to say to parents. And for the children or for the young people, for the men, for the young boys out there is puberty is not scary. Puberty is to be appreciated. So enjoy it. Thank you, Dr. Sisse. And it's been such a pleasure getting to know you through this short time we've had together. And I'm so happy that you're there for families for a variety of reasons, now urgent care, but then you also do these puberty parties. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I appreciate your time today. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with Dr. Sisse, you can certainly go to Dr. Fatu Forna's website, and that's one way you can get in touch with him. And if you also, you can get in touch with me to get more information, feel free to go to my website. It's pubertyprof.com. And to encourage you to have talks, remember there's the Talk Puberty app in which it helps you have different talks on a variety of topics and it leads your conversation so you can have healthy relationships with your children. So thank you again for listening. Dr. Sasse, thank you again for being here. It's truly a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by The Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time. This is the Puberty Prof Podcast.
where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.